2: The numbers, suffice it to say, are staggering right now. 49 people dead, 53 more wounded from the nightclub shooting in Orlando on Saturday night, Sunday morning. The lone gunman Omar Mateen was carrying an AR-15 assault rifle and several other weapons. But of concern to many people is the fact that this man, born in the United States of Afghani parents, was on a watch list of the FBI for a couple of years now. He had been interviewed by them on at least two separate occasions and yet was still able to acquire these weapons. And now reports surfacing that the shooter had visited the club dozens of times prior and been seen drinking heavily. To delve a little bit more into this case, we are joined here in the studio by Wharton Professor Bob Meyer, who's co-director of the Risk Management and Decisions Processes Center. And then joining us on the phone is Penn Law Professor Tobias Barrington-Wolf. Bob, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. But Tobias, great to have you on the phone. Thank you. Thank you. Bob, this is obviously, I mean, I, I don't know where to really start on this because this really has this has gripped a lot of people, and, and there are so many different things going on right now, and the least of which is, again, the conversation about, how somebody like this was able to acquire weapons especially if he was on a watch list right there, there are just so many touch points that have caused this to be such a big thing I, I mean
0: one of which is the fact that sort of a bit of akin to the uh, the Paris shootings uh, this is something a place where people kind of normally have visited uh, people normally associate with uh, Disney World Mickey Mouse and yeah. basically uh, sort of a source of uh, of comfort and safety and to have something like this happen this so close to home uh, you know is, is pretty extreme and 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 I think that also, as you just mentioned, uh, the fact that this is a person for which supposedly our best defenses on preventing this uh, failed. Um, and he was a person who was able to be able to buy uh, assault weapons uh, and uh, be cleared by the FBI, uh, be a security officer and so forth, and then just be able to march in and co- commit this sort of a horrific act is pretty uh, is pretty disturbing, to, to say the least.
2: Tobias, wh- what are what are your first thoughts on, on all of that that's kind of involved in the in in this whole shooting,
1: that's an impossible question.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: The uh, I mean, look, uh, I'm a gay man, and uh, for a lot of LGBT people, uh, bars and clubs are places of safety and places of acceptance. Uh, look, I'm a I'm a tenured professor at an Ivy League law school, and I walk through every single day of my life having to be conscious of where it's safe for me to hold hands with a partner and where it's not, and where I'm going to feel conspicuous if I'm affectionate with somebody that I'm dating. And that's just part of what it is to be a gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender person in the United States today. And this is one of those spaces where you can let that kind of vigilance and you can let that kind of self-awareness fall away and you can be silly and you can be celebratory and you can be shady and you can be whatever you need to be without having to be aware all the time that that the world is scrutinizing you. And, I mean, a a mass murder like this is an unspeakable horror under uh, under any circumstances. There is no such thing as the best of circumstances. But uh, for it to happen in a place which is... Uh, such a singularly important source of refuge for a lot of LGBT people is just utterly, utterly devastating.
2: The other p- piece to this, I, I guess, uh, and I, I, the, the term ironic first comes to mind, but I, I don't want to use that term because I, I think it's wrong in this case, but we're at a point where we obviously have had so much conversation, and, and obviously the Supreme Court address, addressed the topic of gay marriage you know, earlier this year. Uh, and seemingly were and last year and, and we seemingly have come so far yet we have an incident like this I, I it, it makes me feel like we've we, we continue to take steps back even though we're taking steps forward tobias
1: well it is I mean yes and uh, you know I think one of the most pernicious uh, forces in the world today is shame around sex and sexuality and shame around gender and masculinity. And we don't yet know, and and we may never know, uh, a full account of who this man was and and what motivated him to commit this this atrocity. But what we do know is that uh, there are forces to this day that seek to uh, make LGBT people and really that seek to make all of us feel like we are subject to policing uh, around sex and gender with the, the weapons of shame. And we have seen extraordinary progress in the legal and constitutional arenas, and we have seen extraordinary progress in the social and cultural arenas. But we still fight every day against the use of shame as a weapon and uh, you know the the AR-15 military assault-style rifle that was used to spray hundreds of bullets at innocent people in this nightclub uh, is one of the weapons that was used. But another weapon that was used was was shame, and both of them are weapons that we need to fight back against and to address.
0: Bob? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I also think that I think one of the things that's uh, uh, that's co- allowed this to really resonate with a lot of people so people don't think it is necessarily something which is just specifically narrowly uh, targeted at the, at the uh, LGBT community. Yeah. I, I think people kind of look at this and say, well, if it happens there, I mean, where, where does it stop? I mean, we look at Paris and we say yeah. uh, uh, people who are convened, uh, trying to enjoy themselves at a rock concert, uh, uh, sporting venues, uh, at, at what point does, uh, d- d- does this extend? and to, to, to other things.
2: But I guess part of this, from, from the legal perspective, Tobias, is the fact that uh, that this area was supposedly a gun-free zone. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess in this day and age, is gun-free truly gun-free when people have have the right to carry?
1: Well, what we need as a matter of public safety and public health in the United States is federal legislation that will take these Military grade weapons off the market and out of the hands of civilians. There is simply no conceivable justification for any man or woman on the street to be able to walk into a gun shop and buy a a military grade semi automatic rifle that is designed not for home protection and not for hunting, but for the purpose of killing large numbers of people in sh- a short amount of time. It's insanity that such weapons are available to civilians, often with very little in the way of controls. The president gave uh, a town hall a couple of weeks ago, which has been much broadcast in the last couple of days, in which he responded to a question about gun control. And he said exactly what wound up happening in Orlando over the weekend, that, that someone whom the FBI has on a a watch list, whom they have concerns about, whom they have reason to believe, has been interfacing with uh, radical Islamic ideologies online or any other form of radicalism online, can nonetheless buy one of these military-grade weapons, and there's nothing, there's no tools that the federal government has available to it. And that state of affairs is the product of a powerful organized gun lobby, and of politicians, most of them Republican politicians, who have decided that they are going to kowtow to that lobby and that they will abdicate their responsibility to protect public safety in favor of the money and support that they get from the gun lobby. And that is the state of affairs that makes it possible for a demented man like this to get a hold of a weapon like this. And it is going to require a federal solution, and that's going to require some real political consequences for the, the politicians who have been giving cover to the gum lobby for decades now.
0: I, I think also one of the real challenges of course in getting that done, I think that uh I certainly couldn't agree with you more with every single thing that you said. At the same time we have to keep in mind that uh that that for a lot of people uh, guns are kind of the, the solution. Um, uh, they Like half of America believes that, uh, and this has sort of increased in recent years, uh, believe that uh, there ought to be, uh, y- you shouldn't infringe that right, because when each one of these threats uh, and these events happen, um, uh, half the nation reacts by saying, well, we really need to crack down on this. we got to get these guns off the streets. Uh, we have to basically have a mass sweeping to collect the, the five million assault rifles, rifles that are already out there. The other half, unfortunately, has the reaction of saying, I need a Gun um, uh, because clearly uh, all the, mechan- the FBI is not protecting me. The FBI is coming in and letting this happen. Um, uh, so you know, uh, screening guards on the outside of venues aren't doing their job. So who's yeah. going to protect me? It's back to me.
2: It, it, it is interesting and ironically enough, there is an article that is in for those people that are listening to us around the country. There is an article in the Philadelphia Daily News today. Uh, a reporter for that paper went to. A, uh, a, a a store to buy that assault rifle. And it took her, according to her reporting, seven minutes from the time she walked in the door till the time she left for her to acquire that. She gave the, from what I understand, she gave the salesperson her license, she passed the background check, and she was able to acquire the gun and walk out the door. Seven minutes Tobias, that it it just goes to how the system itself needs to be changed.
1: Well, indeed. And let me say two things. First of all, I think it's certainly correct to say as a descriptive matter that there are large numbers of people in the United States who respond, you know, many of them goaded on by uh, lobbyists and American politicians who respond to this kind of atrocity by saying, well, we would all be better off if everyone had. You know more semi-automatic rifles and I think that we need to be prepared to do the difficult thing of looking people in the eye when they say that and saying that's insane and I'm going to have I I will be prepared to have a an engaged and serious conversation with you about what leads you to think that in the circumstances of a mass shooting if everyone just had semi-automatic rifles then suddenly things would turn out better but you do need to recognize that that's insane right? Yeah. And, and we've become so politically terrorized away from responding to the suggestion that if we just had more semi-automatic rifles in the hands of more people, that somehow there would be less killing and less death, that we're, we've gotten cowed away from saying what any rational person would say in response to that argument, which is that that is insane. And the second thing I want to say very quickly, uh, it, it is quite correct and important to say that this atrocity in Orlando has led many, many people to think, well, good heavens, this could have been me, this could have been any of us, this is an assault upon all of us. But it was also very specifically and very uh, uh, urgently an assault upon LGBT people, and, and in particular an assault upon Latino LGBT people, who were overwhelmingly the victims and casualties of this atrocity. And the Latino LGBT community in the United States is feeling targeted and feeling embattled in ways that I think we need to recognize and that we need to be reaching out to them and hearing from them about what they need in order to feel safe in the multiple ways in which, I mean, think about being a a Latino gay man or a Latino lesbian or a Latino transgender person today, where you've got, on the one hand, a fascist running for president in the GOP, who is uh, engaging in naked white supremacist rhetoric against Latino Americans, and on the other hand, the continuing hostility towards LGBT people, which has manifested itself in such astonishing violence. You know, we need to be hearing from those people, and, and we need to never, I know this wasn't what you meant to imply, right. but we need yep. to never in any way erase the fact that those are the people who are feeling most embattled and most targeted right now.
2: Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton, eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call. Or if you'd like, send a comment via Twitter via Twitter, either at BizRadio one eleven or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney twenty one. Bob, go ahead. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I think that um, all, all the points you're saying are, are extremely well taken. I, I think that uh, the, the one of the challenges we have, of course, is getting from here to there, uh, uh, that the the idea that uh, that we do need to basic, to have bans on assault weapons, we need to greatly control uh, gun ownership, that type of thing, I, I think is sort of, in, from my mind, is sort of a no-brainer. Uh, the reality is is that we're not going to get from here to there, and one of the real immediate challenges that we have are what are things we can do in the immediate short run to, to assure that when people go venues like this, no matter who they are, um, uh, they can really go in with a great sense of assurance that this won't happen. Uh, and that's very, very difficult to do. I, I, I think that often what will happen, and it's always happens in the wake of disasters, is suddenly that you'll have this sudden surge of interest, sur- sudden surge of energy being put into protection. All of a sudden, uh, clubs around the, the world, my yeah. guess would be, you'll see a very extreme uh, checks, you'll have uh, uh, hiring of yet, guards Yeah, so yet,
2: yet Paris just happened a right. few months ago, and, yeah. and you would thought that, you know, what do you have the checks for the first month after the after the incident happened in Paris and around the globe and then it just dies off at that point? Well, there's a couple of things that
0: happen. I mean, what, one of which is the fact that unfortunately laxness gets reinforced uh, a lot more than vigilance. And uh, so you basically can have guards standing out there and doing uh, with whatever sort of defense mechanisms that they have, but the, the, the reality is on any given night, the odds of there being a terrorist attack in any one venue are very, very small. And yep. most of the time uh you know who who who's you know they supposedly they have uh metal detectors and uh, and screens as you go into sporting stadiums and what eventually yep. happens is uh that uh, that well, it is a miracle that that a tragedy hasn't occurred at a stadium
2: given here, how lax the security is getting in here here's the problem uh, that we also have is the fact that if I think if you you talk to anybody that has been to a club You know, if somebody were to come up to that club and they're carrying an assault rifle and a couple, you know, the people that are working the door are not going to be able to be be able to handle that. There's just no way that they're going to be able to do that. So, Tobias, from the legal perspective, then. What do you do to protect these types of venues even further?
0: Well, I mean, you could have National Guard, uh, oh. uh, you know, posted outside of clubs, well, and, yeah. and we can kind of go down that route. But unfortunately, uh, it doesn't seem other than that type of uh, of, of a really stepped up uh, protective response. It's difficult to, uh, to see ways of uh, in the short run of preventing these sorts of things from happening. Tobias,
1: the na- the national security community has been. Uh, this has been their nightmare uh, for years now. And uh, if you speak with anyone who is an expert in national security, a, a real expert in national security, what they will tell you is that uh, if people who want to do violence have access to weapons of mass destruction and we- weapons of mass murder, then one just cannot harden every target that one would want to be able to protect. We are a nation of 330 million people and we gather in large numbers. And uh, if you post the National Guard outside of clubs, then uh, a supermarket can become a soft target. And if you post the National Guard outside of a supermarket, then a movie theater can become a hard, a soft target. And uh, to, to think in terms of uh, increased militarization as the way to respond to these acts of violence is, I think, an un- un- understandable but but, but foolhardy uh, instinct. Uh, the, I think that the single most important way to prevent this kind of of mass murder is to take weapons out of the hands of civilians that are capable of killing large numbers of people in short amounts of time. And if this madman this evil man had been armed with handguns and, and machetes. It would have been a horrific situation, but it would have been a horrific yep. situation in which far fewer people would have died. And uh, uh, that, if nothing else, needs to constantly be on the top of our agenda in in talking about how to respond to this kind of uh, targeting of soft targets, which, once again, has been a national security concern for for. many years.
2: Uh, Joining us on the show, uh, Tobias Barrington-Wolf, Penn Law professor, Bob Meyer uh, of the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome uh, to join us on the show right now. The other thing uh, about it, uh, Tobias, that obviously was talked about a little bit yesterday and maybe needs to be even reinforced at this point is the fact that there also was a potential attack in Los Angeles yesterday. A gentleman that was armed was apparently headed for the gay pride parade in Los Angeles. And somebody saw him and the police were able to get involved and they were able to be able to short circuit that potential attack. So this is possible, but it's not happening enough.
1: That's absolutely right. And of course, California has uh, uh, better gun control laws on some of these more military-style weapons than, than many states do, but this individual apparently had come from Indiana, or at least that's where his, his automobile license plate was from. And if you live in a nation with open borders, which of course, thank God we do, yep. uh, that is to say open borders within the United States, uh, then this is a collective action problem. You need to address this market for weapons of mass destruction at the national level and not at the state level. And let me also just mention, uh, you referenced the Paris attacks, and the Paris attacks were uh, an atrocity of historic proportion. But we should not lose sight of the fact that in France, if one puts to one side that that hideous event, the murder rate in France and the gun violence yeah. rate in France has been on a steady decline for years. And gun control laws as well as other measures both legal and social and cultural in france uh, have been successful in lowering the gun violence rate in france to a, a small fraction of what it is in the united states and so while we need to not lose sight of the importance of the paris attacks we need to also not lose sight of the fact that even in a country where the paris attacks can happen gun violence is on the decline where they have sensible national level policy on weapons of mass destruction.
0: Yeah, uh, well, violent crime has also been, as you know, been on the decline in the United States as well since the uh, the early '90s. And I, I think one of the challenges here, as I mentioned earlier, was that uh, the perception of that, however, is not the same. I think it's something like uh, sixty. Recently, recent polls I saw sixty percent of Americans, when asked, it, "Is violent crime increased uh, from last year?" say yes, uh, which in fact statistically isn't quite isn't quite correct. So I think we also are battling with uh, um, uh, with this issue of people and feel, are feeling increasingly threatened. And, and you get this polarization, which I mentioned earlier, of yeah. people feeling I, 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 you know, the government isn't there to protect me. I don't feel safe, and I have to do something for on my own. Uh, versus those who say the government does have to intervene. Um, and that that's uh, and at the at the end of the day, I, I agree with you. Taking assault weapons out of people's hands is uh, kind of the, the only sensible thing to do to, to at least start start solving the problem.
2: Tobias, uh, the, the FBI mentioned that that they had brought this individual in twice, once in 2013 and once in 2014 because of suspicions the of his potential link to uh to uh is Islamic uh terrorism. Uh with that on and and him being on a watch list for some period of time, from the legal perspective, did the, did the FBI miss something? It, it seemingly they did that that allowed this to happen.
1: Well, my understanding is that what the FBI was presented with was information about statements that this man had made to coworkers that they then reported and, and some indication that he had been uh, consuming some of this radicalizing uh, rhetoric and videos and so forth online. Uh, I just want to be clear, the way you pose the question, I don't think that there's any suggestion that the FBI uh, had information that he right. was in touch with terrorist networks. That right. would be a very different... A very different thing. Uh, And uh, I mean, we are still learning information, but what the FBI Director Comey said in a statement the other day is that the FBI uh, proceeded in the way that is possible for them to proceed, which is that they investigated these troubling statements that this man had made and didn't find any basis for believing at the time that he was involved with terrorist activity or that he was you know, planning imminent violence and uh, you know it, the information is still coming to light and, and I think we need to be careful in, in thinking that we know more than we do but more to the point it's not possible as a matter of national security and it's not possible as a matter of law enforcement to stop every terrible act before it happens even when you know that that somebody is somebody you know is, is a potential danger or potential threat. And I don't think we want to live in a society where, based upon relatively scant information, people's liberties can be just easily taken away. But what we can do is take away from people the tools and the weapons that allow them to translate bad intentions into mass destruction. That's what we can do.
2: I guess the, the next question, Bobby, is that with this happening and Paris has happened and, and all the different types of, uh, of events that have happened over the last two years alone, because of what our country was based on and, and, and what we are as a society, are we potentially looking at more of these types of events happening here in the U.S.?
0: I, I would certainly hope not, yeah. uh, but but obviously, sort of the, the the risk is there, and 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 I think that the trend we're going down uh, uh, in terms of of of, of people of there being a very limited control of gun ownership and uh, and uh, increased radicalization of certain factions and whatnot. I think that's a a, a threat that that's there. I, I think that the one thing I kind of keep holding my uh, uh, you know vain hopes out for is the fact that with each one of these things, so on the flip side, there's sort of gr- growing public Awareness of the the threat that's out there, and uh, so you have kind of a joint effect of both individuals being more careful with respect to their own actions, uh, uh, whatever security facilities are currently in place being more vigilant in yeah. terms of doing their job, uh, and then hopefully, uh, and you know, it may be a, a distant hope that there would there would in fact be some uh, movement towards legislation of somebody coming in and saying, "Look, uh, I've you know, we got to do the right thing here. We have to basically control ownership of some types of weapons."
2: Tobias. It, it, I, I know I'm sure it's your hope that that this will change something. But the fact that we have this, uh, we've had Newtown and, and we've had Columbine, and I know they're they're very different with many of the dynamics. But the uh, the the end result ends up being very much the same. Is it your hope that eventually we, we will be able to kind of figure this out and, and get this changed before we have another mass shooting here in the United States?
1: Well, I, I think what we need to figure out is that the gun lobby and the NRA have out-organized sensible people and have out-organized the forces that would seek to implement and enact sensible gun legislation. And it, it, it is a something that is much reported on that that Regulations like taking assault weapons out of the hands of civilians, requiring universal background checks without loopholes, requiring uh, waiting periods before a person can get a gun. Uh, These are all policies that have overwhelming, in most instances, public support. The reason they don't get enacted is because it takes more than just overwhelming public support to enact public policy. It takes a highly organized apparatus that puts pressure on national state and local uh, elected officials that has a coordinated media campaign and in the case of the gun lobby in particular it takes the capacity to push back against bullies and to push back against some of the aggressive rhetoric that we see coming out of the other side where there is this kind of you know almost uh, suggestion of 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 the possibility of violence if you if you uh You know, if you violate the orthodoxy of the gun lobby and suggest placing some sensible regulations on ownership of these military-style weapons. And to be perfectly clear, that is work that the left has not yet done and that the center has not yet done and that we need to start doing right now.
0: Yeah, how, how we're going to get from there here to there, I, I, I'm I kind of a little bit more pessimistic, perhaps, than you. I, I uh, After the Newtown uh, shootings, uh, where basically you're talking about uh, children being slaughtered, uh, if that wasn't enough to galvanize uh, the center and the left to do something very aggressive and, and move the needle, I'm not so sure what can.
2: Great to have you both on the show. Tobias, thank you very much for, for giving us your time today. Thank you. Tom, always Th- great to see you. Great. Thanks, Thanks very much for coming I'm in. About-